Hello, Serie A fans, and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast. I am Daniele Proc, and today I am especially excited to unpack what happened over the last week of uh, Serie A football because there have been incredible results, upsets, as well as controversies. But to do that, I'm going to need the usual help from Total Football Analyst uh, Steve Coleman. Hello, Steve. Yeah, morning, Danny. How you going? I'm doing pretty good. And uh, who better than professional center back Alex Comzia can walk us through the struggle that defenders go through nowadays that VAR is so strict about handballs. Looking forward to hearing what you have to say, Alex. Yeah, it's pretty terrible, but happy to be back. <laughs> and you guys know that Chris Mumford is a, is a busy man. He hosts the EPL podcast, among a million other things that he does for a Total Football Analysis. So Chris uh, texted me over the weekend. He was thinking about stepping off of this uh, uh, pod, this area pod this week, because he said he was uh, overwhelmed with work. But uh, as soon as the Napoli-Milan game ended, and precisely as soon as Donnarumma walked off the pitch with that questionable performance, Chris texted me that he wanted to be back. He really wanted to bring up some points during this, uh, this pod. So Chris, bring it on. My guard is up. I'm ready to take the hit. I'm ready to show the love and, and the anger when needed. <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about how this week was going to shape things up in terms of uh, title race, uh, Europe battle and the relegation. So let's go in order. We'll work our way down from the top. Uh, I think there is a little bit of irony in the fact that Juventus was able to widen the gap between themselves and the second place Lazio, despite collecting one point in two games. So last Tuesday, they play against AC Milan. They lost 4-2 and uh, all six goals came in the second half. Uh, Juventus, Juventus was up 2-0. Um, so I was going to ask you, Alex, a team like Juventus, you know, they've been winning the Scudetto for uh, uh, eight straight seasons. How does it happen that they just turn off in one half and concede four goals? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, in theory, it could happen to anyone, but especially at Juventus where the standard is, is so high, it should never happen, especially against a team like, like Milan, where it's a fierce rival and there's reputation on the line, right? Very much a tale of two halves. I think they thought they had this game in the bag. Um, they, they got a little bit arrogant. Uh, maybe the Zlatan effect is, is still around. But they, they fell apart in the second half. And, and when, you're, when your leader, and your leader, I mean Bonucci in the back, is, is performing so poorly, in my opinion, that's contagious, just as any positive performance is contagious. When you're shaky at the back and the momentum switches, all of a sudden it's 2-1. All of a sudden, oh, wow. Oh, wait, we can't give up another goal. We gave up another goal. Oh, we're vulnerable. It's going to happen again. This doesn't happen to us. We're Juve. You know, this, doesn't, this shouldn't happen. That gets into the mindset of the defenders and the midfielders, not so much the forwards, in my opinion, and the goalkeeper especially. So the momentum flipped. First goal <laughs> opened the floodgates. And um, in my opinion... They became arrogant. Even look at that last goal. Sandro plays a terrible ball mm. across his back line. It's just, you know, you want to play out of the back, of course, but that is just reckless and careless, in my opinion, not taking care of the ball. No, clearly there's not enough pressure on the line there to make a good informed decision of maybe you should play the ball up the line and maybe in behind for a guy like Cristiano. But they're just lucky, in my opinion, that Lazio has just really dropped the ball here or else, you know, they'd be panicking. 
True. And uh, you mentioned the Ibrahimovic effect. So after the game, Ibrahimovic came, uh, came out with a quote. He said, if I had been here since day one, we would have won the Scudetto. So I wish there was a metric that we could use to verify that. What we know right now is that with Ibrahimovic on the field, Milan um, averages 1.9 points per game and without him, uh, 1.4 points per game. So there is definitely uh, a Zlatan effect here. Um, do you guys uh, have any other takes about, about the game, how that unfolded? No, I think the Alex hit the nail on the head. I think if you look at the fourth goal uh, that they conceded, that sums up their 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 game. To be fair, I thought they were poor um, with the ball. I thought they were poor without the ball. Uh, notwithstanding Rabiot's great finish from the for the first goal, um, yeah, the the lack of the lack of discipline and the lack of uh, care and attention that they had with the ball. Um, I think I think was a real issue in this game, uh, and and it didn't it didn't get any better. To be fair, in the in the Atalanta game either. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, the problems carried over in the Juventus Atalanta game that was played this Saturday, finished two two, and uh, Atalanta was um, uh, had the lead twice, and Juventus was able to to come back thanks to uh, penalty kicks. But let's uh, let's first talk about the first goal. So uh, Papu Gomez was able to slip. Duvan Zapata through with a, a very nice ball. And uh, Steve, you asked Alex the, the previous spot, how do you mark Duvan Zapata, right? A striker of yeah. such physical strength. And I'm going to make sure that uh, we'll message uh, Rodrigo Bentancur with a link to that pod because <laughs> uh, really uh, Zapata made a fool of him in the first goal. Alex, uh, as a defender, what exactly did Bentancur do wrong right there? Give Betancourt definitely the pod, but you should tag Delic too, because in my opinion, <laughs> Delic actually oversteps here. So let's talk about Delic first, then we'll talk about Betancourt. Delic oversteps here. He goes a little bit too far high and a little bit too far to the left. You mean on Gomez, right? On Gomez. Okay. And he gets, he gets spun. He gets spun, and then there's a clear passing lane. Okay, that's the first mistake. The next mistake is obviously from Betancourt. He doesn't see that Zapata is making a hard run. He's ball watching. And all he had to really do was just step up, cut off the lane, and then he would actually intercept if he moved up and a little bit to the left. He would actually intercept that ball and block Zapata. So if Zapata would have to run in behind, he'd probably be offside. You know, that, that wouldn't be the case, but... I mean, like Steve said, he asked me last, last week or a couple of weeks ago, it's so hard to fight off Zapata once he gets running because he just absolutely bullied Betancourt. It was way too late. He, was, he almost looked and he was like, oh, it's, it's over. And then he just came in and he scored a beautiful goal. So two mistakes there, in my opinion. I thought they were so, they were so dangerous, Atalanta. Every, every opportunity, you felt like they were going to get something. Um, you know, I, th I think moving... Gomez closer to Zapata after the resumption that he played him a little bit deeper earlier on in the year but moving him closer to him they're just smashing everyone that comes in their way right now and um, they should win this game comfortably without without the two pens in my opinion Yeah, Atalanta absolutely controlled the game um, the role of Papu Gomez is interesting because he really has a lot of freedom he can do whatever he wants on the field sometimes mm -hmm. we see him dropping almost as a holding midfielder receiving the ball and they push one of the either the right side or left side midfielder up to you know to stay close with the striker and uh, and Ilicic 
but uh, he's been he's been making a difference for Atalanta. I think he just reached something like 300 Serie A appearances. Um, Papu Gomez, so uh, key player for sure. Uh, let's get to the most controversial topic of the weekend. So Serie A is seeing uh, a spike in terms of uh, penalty kicks awarded. And this game was a perfect example of that. Uh, two handballs against uh, Atalanta in the penalty area and uh, two PKs that were later converted by Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, is there something that defenders can do to avoid handballs or are they really helpless in, uh, in that case? Alex, I'm going to go to you first. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll wait. I'm, I'm a VAR grump. Let's wait for the I'll professional wait. player. To <laughs> game, put it this way. The game has changed and the, it's actually a disadvantage for the defenders because your arms are used to keep you balanced. You actually, your arms are connected to how you, how you move your feet. So the moment you have to put your arms behind your back and run that way, that's an automatic advantage for the attackers when they're dribbling 1v1 or whether, whether there's a ball bouncing. So, so many of these handballs are unintentional, and that's how it used to be. Unintentional, his arm is down, but now if it hits it, automatic PK. So the game has definitely changed. It's, it's a little soft in my opinion. It's for advantage for the attackers. VAR is... Definitely, you'll get into it, but definitely, you know, the headliner in so many of these matches. But if, if you want to, you know, if that's the rule, if you want to call it that way, then these are all, yeah, these are all PKs. I don't think it's debatable. If, it, if that's the rule, and that's the set rule, it's pretty clear in my opinion. It just kind of sucks as a defender. You have to train your defense to... Maybe that should be a training session now to train with your hands behind your back and be able to move left and right and be able to clear balls. And, and you look at the Iguain one at the last moment on Muriel. You know, that's just so unfortunate. He's just running. You don't run with your hands behind your back. You run like this with, with both hands moving forward. So, yeah, debatable for sure. <laughs> the, the, the term is natural silhouette, isn't it? I believe it's the correct term in the in the um in the rule book these days so the first one's interesting because he starts with his hands behind his back to defend the cross and then as he turns his body his arms naturally move to to the movement of his body is he within the line of his body i think is a tough one but these days like alex said it's a penalty the the rule is the rule fit for purpose is var fit fit, fit for purpose we could probably have a whole pod on that to, to be fair um and then the second one, the second one is a classic example of why strikers shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the penalty area yeah, defensively. Like right. he's just, <laughs> uh, I, I don't care if he's running or, w- or what he's doing. Why his arm is out at that angle at that time of the game in that moment is is madness. And that one's definitely a penalty. You can't argue the 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 dirt with that one. But yeah, the the set the first one is is obviously a penalty, but. The frustration is is palpable for Atalanta for sure, definitely. Yeah, I want to I want to uh, bring up two points here. The first penalty kick, which was um, caused by uh, the handball by Martin Deron. So Deron went to the ref and he pointed at his elbow as if to say, yeah. "Listen, I know it hit my my arm, but it mm-hmm. was like along my body. What am I supposed to do? Cut it off?" Uh, I thought that was uh, very illustrative of. This is the problem with uh, uh, the controversy that arise around the uh, handballs. And then, Alex, about the training session. 
I do think that now strikers are training to hit the defender's arms, or at least, you know, they, they spend, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes at the end of the session. Uh, it's a skill. As well as defenders, they have to, to train with their arms behind their back. But again, what if the strikers then engage you know, on a 1v1 and you are off balance because you're not keeping your, uh, your arms, you know, in a position ready to, to sprint? So um, let's paint a little picture here. There's a wing before we go to Chris. There's a, there's a winger. Okay. He's dribbling. He's about to cross it. He realizes there's no one in the box, but the defender he's up against is actually in the box. You know, any smart winger. And if they train this, like you said, can realize maybe they're down a goal who knows the scenario. And if they're able, they have the technique to actually hit it against these guys' hands that changes the game completely. That's a talent. It is. Yeah. I think it's a new skill. Yeah. I, I would say that VAR is VAR. It's, it's, it's video. Uh, so if we're going to stay with this rule, then we're probably going to have to require defenders to amputate below, just below their shoulder to make sure they don't get handballs. Because it's ridiculous, especially with the modern lateral speed of athletes today versus back in the old days when I, when I played, we were all pretty clunky. Uh, and so if you got, if you hit it with the hand, it's probably because you deliberately meant to hit it with your hand. Um, so my vote, and I'd like to get y'all's take on this, um, because this is clearly ridiculous. I thought all the beautiful, beautiful play that Atalanta did was completely negated by 12 people in black and white, uh, the 11 Juve players and the center official, right? So my take is, is, uh, if it is an inadvertent handball in the box, it is a <laughs> indirect free kick, right? Let's put some entertainment and some creativity into it. And if it's because of VAR and if it looks like someone's moving their hand to, to tap a ball or hit it, then you got to say, sorry, that goes to, to the PK. Because you guys know last time I talked about this international conspiracy against goalkeepers to have more PKs. Uh, and uh, I want to bring that, that global consortium down. But what's y'all's take on the idea of indirect free kick on inadvertent handballs in the box? Chris, I think that only adds gray area to the problem. Yeah. I don't think it can help yeah. because it's, it's going to be hard to determine whether a shot was going to go in. Okay, then it's a PK or, oh, it's actually a cross, then it's an indirect free kick. I think the VR has tried to eliminate the gray area. And uh, like Alex just said, uh, that's a new rule. Uh, we either stick to it or we're going to just discuss it forever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> they, got, they got to decide whether the rules fit for purpose and whether, whether it fits in with the VAR decision. There's a goal disallowed in the Udinese game, I think, from a set piece that was, uh, it was get, get, uh, disallowed for a handball. And I can't remember who it was, but he, he jumped with the rebound and with his arms by his side and it, it glanced off his elbow into the goal. And as soon as it went in, he knew that it wasn't a goal, but it's never ham. It's literally, an, he's getting in the way of a, of a deflection, but yeah, it was ruled out for, for a uh, handball. So whether the rule is fit for purpose or whether it isn't needs to be discussed first, whether VIR continues in the, in the, in the game is, is very much up for debate as well. And I do think the Italians have got it as close to, being correct as as it can be, I think in the Premier League it's got some real issues. But yeah, the the grey area you don't want to add more grey area. You, you need it to be more black and white, like, like Danny says there. Well, see, I I, I disagree with y'all because it, again, if if an arm comes up like this when you're turning, right, 
and you're literally to propel your torso, your arm, your arm and your elbow goes up and it hits it. And then it falls off a little bit to the side. To me, that's not the intent of the rule. The intent of the rule is for someone to gain advantage through their hands uh, in the box to keep a goal from or, or pa a pass from moving forward. And I, I, I don't think it's a technology problem. Video don't lie. It is what it is, right? So it's really what is the rule a justifiable and enforceable rule or not? Yeah, we'll see what the, develop, what the developments are in terms of uh, um, ruling uh, handball in the box. But I would like to talk ab about another skill, which is converting penalty kicks, because we're going to have to give credit to Cristiano Ronaldo. 11 from 11 from the spots. He has an average conversion rate this season of 100%, whereas we know that in football, uh, converting a PK, is uh, the percentage is around 75%, I believe. Um, is there anybody else in the world that you guys would choose <laughs> to take a PK besides Cristiano? Right now, Ramos. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> but uh, I'd, st I'd still pick Cristiano over Ramos any day. I might consider choosing somebody else because uh, Ronaldo's due for some misses if it really is 75%. <laughs> okay. That's a good perspective. And Chris, yeah. I... You know what? I was thinking that this number, you know, the conversion rate, I think the number is uh, going to go high even more given the harsh restrictions that they're now imposing on keepers, you know, keep one, uh, one foot on the line. What do you yeah. think about that? I, well, I, I hate the rule, obviously. I mean, I, uh, as someone that uh, was very liberal about stepping off the goal line when I was doing PKs, uh, if the percentage, if your baseline's you're going to lose 75% of the time giving a keeper one step forward. Uh, and I, I know that we can say, well, that's going to create more gray area because people are going to take two steps. But I think starting on the, the, uh, the, go the goal line with a, a little bit of wink-wink, but the problem is technology doesn't allow for the wink-wink anymore, right? Mm -hmm. the, uh, back in the old days, refs could let that be. Uh, so that's one of those sort of things where we talked a little bit earlier about the penalty kick is VAR is, is allowing for the full on enforcement. So we have to kind of go back and see is the rule legit or not. As I'm listening to this, I'm just thinking like VAR is creating, you know, a big advantage for, for more goals, aren't they? With the whole, with the PK, uh, on the line goalkeeper rule and the handball rule. I just feel like it's, maybe more entertaining for the fans, more, more goals. Is that, is that what you guys think is set out or is just like part of it? Don't get me started on it. <laughs> I won't then. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a discussion for another pod, I guess. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I think that in, in that sense, Alex, I agree in terms of penalty kicks, but at the same time you have things like uh, offsides, you know, by the millimeter, there have been a lot that have been ruled out. I don't have the numbers right now. I haven't checked them, but I'm yeah. curious to see what's the percentage of, you know, of these allowed goals after VRR checks. Yeah. Um, so Juventus currently sit uh, first in the league, eight points ahead of Lazio with six games to go. But uh, let's move on to, the, to another topic, which is the Europa League battle. And this past weekend, actually on Sunday, uh, Napoli played. Um, Napoli hosted AC Milan, 
the game finished 2-2 and uh, Steve is going to help us see what happened in that game. Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed this one. I actually thought it was a good a good game with lots of ebbs and flows and lots of little subtle changes throughout it, um, you know, to try and counter the, the Napoli threat. I thought Pioli started one way, changed to changed to another way to try and combat that. And um, and I thought it created a real, a real nice uh, game to watch. So uh, Milan obviously started 4-2-3-1. I think they have to continue to do that to accommodate Ibrahimovic at the top. I think if he goes another way with it, it, it gives them gives them a little bit of a disadvantage in, in certain areas, which we'll come to a little bit later on. Uh, Napoli more of a four one four one, obviously four three three with the ball, but more four one four one without the ball. Um, and I think the big takeaway is Gattuso continuing to juggle his squad uh, around guys coming in, guys being rotated out for rest. It really shows that he's got a real togetherness with his with his squad, where they don't tend to lose a hell of a lot. Where, leaving certain players out. Um, and he's obviously a very, very good man manager of his group. Um, he doesn't get so so much of a significant drop-off with, with, uh, with the side. So there's obviously some changes w- within that group, but a lot, of the, a lot of the core group remain the same. Mario Rui, for example, he's pretty much a constant left-back. But he rotated in. Di Lorenzo on the other side and Koulibaly came into the back four as well after, after being rested. Um, and then Insigne is, is pretty much an ever-present in that side. He's so important to the to the team. But Calajon came in on, on, on the other side of midfield. So um, on the flip side, Milan only made one change. So uh, obviously they're in good form. But, you know, did that make a difference as, as the game wore on in terms of the, the tiredness of the players? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But I think one of the, the key factors in this in this game is, and I'll get Alex's take on this, is... is Napoli have have a thing um, about how they how they use um, their wide players to to dictate the this the situation. So in this game, for example, they spent a lot of a lot of time getting their wide players marked by the Milan fullbacks and purposely marked to create space in behind. So there's a lot of occasions where um, Insigne, for example, early on gets marked uh, by Conti on on the right hand side there and drags Conti off the line to allow the runners running from deep to, to get in behind the fullback position. We spoke about this a little bit last week. And um, Alex, as a, as a centre-back, you know, are you happy for your, for your fullback to get dragged out of a line to a pass that might not come to expose you in a channel where you have to go and defend? Um, no, I'm not. I like to stay in the centre of the park. So, but it, it depends on, you know, that's just my preference. Um, mm there's some center backs that are so comfortable in defending in those, in those wide areas that the fullback has left in the space that he's left. And um, what happens in that area is you get exposed for pace and you get exposed for, for your agility as well. You know, the center backs, typical center backs like to stay in the center of the park because that's where it's actually the easiest to read the game. And they're not often the, the fastest guys on the field. Um, so the short answer, honestly, for, for, for me is no. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I, th- I think with Insigne, especially down that, down that left-hand side and Mario Rui's quality, he's able to find Fabian Rui early uh, with, with passes in behind. And it gives Napoli two different options in, in that moment where they can obviously attack quickly behind the line and, and create opportunities to score. But it also allows them to... to build into the Milan half and much deeper into the Milan half as they scramble back to defend the goal. And it allows them to, to pin Milan back as they drop deeper and, and then create moments of pressure or sustained moments of pressure with the ball. 
uh, as they all move up the pitch together and, and then the real kind of magic, I guess, starts to happen from, from their perspective. And it's, it's really interesting in this game in the first half, Milan tried really hard to go man for man a, a lot of the time in, in midfield. Um, and Napoli's rotations with the, with the three guys in there um, dragged and pulled and manipulated the shape of, of Milan all, o- all over the place. And I think that's okay if you have the legs to cover cover the distance or you have the ability to press high from the front. But obviously, with Ibra being at the top, he's not he's not getting any younger. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He wants to do it, but probably can't. I'm not sure how accurate that statement might be. But Danny, as a as a lone striker, there's only so much you can do at the top, isn't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. And um, I think the best way to utilize Ibrahimovic is uh, use him as a uh, as an outlet to release pressure, to allow your wingers to come up, uh, your midfield and defensive lines to come up. Um, but we we also see Ibrahimovic kind of drop often as in the mm-hmm. in that middle of the park role. He's kind of taking up regista duties sometimes. I think mm-hmm. he just likes he needs to get some touches on the ball, I guess, for uh, for his confidence. If you know when it's let's say a couple of minutes and you don't touch the ball as a striker, you want to um, you know to, to t- take it and move it from from side to side. Um, but Steve, uh, I would like to to bring up the the. Uh, controversy about the first goal because I know that we have some uh, different views in <laughs> in this room. <laughs> so uh, okay, so I'll talk I'll talk about the the, the kind of Napoli shape and how Ibrahimovic mm-hmm. was really important to to the way Napoli defended. So they they made a couple of tactical changes in the way they defended as a group in this game. So they actually dropped with the threat of the two Milan fullbacks. They actually dropped their two wide players to deal directly with those with those players. So in Insignia on one side and Caljon on the other side, they, they dealt directly with their opposite number in the fullback, which created basically a 4-5-1. But what Gattuso did very well was he allowed the ball side advanced midfielder um, to, to get out and press alongside Mertens to create like a 4-4-2 scenario. So if the ball was transferred from one side to the other, that defend that midfield player would drop back into the line and allow the other side out to press. So it's really actually quite a, a nice way of, of getting pressure on the ball. And again, the, the Napoli thing is when the ball goes backwards and it's a negative, then they can press. But that has a knock-on effect because you do you do that kind of thing to to block passing lanes into into the feet of Ibrahimovic to protect central areas. But then you rely heavily on your wide players to track and defend and and follow defenders or attackers all the way into where they need to. So the first goal is is a ball that's played down the channel, uh, which Insigne doesn't block. So the ball goes into the channel for Rebic to run into. And there's a moment in the in, as he cuts back onto his left foot to deliver the stand-up ball to the back post where you can see on, in, in, on, the, on the replay, there's a moment where Caljon thinks, oh dear, I'm in the wrong space here. <laughs> and I have, to, I have to be marking. And there's, there's this crazy moment where he knows it and so does Hernandez as he checks his shoulder where there's no one coming and the ball is perfect for him to to finish but because of the nature of the way they wanted to defend Ibrahimovic moved himself onto the fullback on either side of the pitch so in that moment he's actually being marked by by Di Lorenzo which frees up Hernandez as he runs over the back so it's very clever play from Milan whether it was off the cuff but or, or not, there's there's something definitely in the Ibrahimovic picking on the, the smaller fullbacks to try and build that physical presence in that moment. But yeah, whether um, Kaljan and um, 
Insignia meant to drop all the way back in to deal with those runners all the way into the box is, is up for debate, but it's, it's a well-worked go, but also terribly defended. Yeah, exactly. And you, you said it right. It's a, it was a, a smart play by AC Milan because you mentioned Insigne and Cajon not doing their defensive duties and they're mm. two attacking-minded players. So when that happens, when uh, attackers don't do their defensive duties, that means that you have basically, um, as an opponent, you have created a play that was very effective because I guess all the defenders and midfielders took up their job and it's not always um, a good thing when you have the attackers, you know, you have to rely on the attackers to track back all the way to the, to the box because you can, you can really bet that sometimes they're not going to do their job defensively just because of the nature of these players. And Cajon as a right winger, I can, I can see him just, um, you know, complaining about, oh, wow, I have to, to track back all the way down there. Credit to Teo Hernandez, a guy that loves to go forward he has so much explosiveness and power to do that. Um, so, yeah, good play by, by AC Milan. Uh, Chris, any, anything to add about uh, the position of Ospina on the goal? Well, I thought Ospina was well positioned on the, the left side in the, in the beginning. But when the crossover happened, uh, he really cut back past his own goal line. And I, I really feel like um, he's clearly a veteran goalkeeper uh you know he, he probably doesn't fear the ball but in those situations you kind of have to hold out at the two yard or three yard line and 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 move, move straight across laterally across and try to get as big as possible because you're not going to have any reaction time so you just want to stay as big as you can but he doesn't end up interacting with the ball until past the goal line and i just I'm uncomfortable seeing keepers pass their own goal, own goal line. That to me is just, it doesn't compute to be honest with you. So uh, he's got to go big and got to crush it. And, and, you know, he might take a ball in the mouth, but that's what you get paid the big, big bucks for. And if you guys are about to uh, discuss now the equalizer by Di Lorenzo, uh, I'm going to leave for a few minutes because I already know what Chris is going to say about about my man Gianluigi Donnarumma. So please go ahead. <laughs> uh, I think the the, um, the Milan goal is against the run of play, um, and I, but I also think Napoli struggling to kind of get through for all their good work and their possession stats. Um, I thought they were struggling to get through. So something like this is a, is a is a free free hit for them. It's a it's a gift of a goal. Um, I think we talked earlier offline about about the the height of the line that. Donnarumma sets it from a, from a depending point of view, and he he gives himself too many bodies that have to come through to to win the ball. Um, and the more the more numbers there are in there, the more variables there are. And unfortunately, in this in this instance, the variables fall in Napoli's favour. And I'll hand the goalkeeper stuff over to Chris. Well, I just think the key takeaway is is setting your line at the six. I know that's visually visually easy to understand, but I just think that. Uh, uh, it's going to most likely be a flick in that situation and the keeper is just not going to have much time to react. And to Donnarumma's credit, he did an amazingly acrobatic save. You know, he knocked the ball down just in, in the instep of, of someone to step in and finish. And, you know, I, I think there's a case to be made. Can we argue that we certainly would, I, my preference would be to move it to the nine because as a keeper, I want to be able to protect that I don't get chipped over, 
but I want to be able to start on the three, get some momentum and be able to punch out on the six. If you push it even higher to say the 12 or 15, that allows for some, something funny to happen where it's a potential second ball situation. And I'd rather have a clean shot at the nine where I could go out and, and, and punch it clean. But I think it's unforgivable that a six foot five keeper doesn't go out and punch a ball at the five yard line. I don't care if you have to take out two of your own defenders to get to that. That's what you get paid the big bucks to is, is to protect, protect your house inside the six. Oh, and those are big bucks. Trust me. Uh, yeah. The one that Donnarumma gets, but you know what? I moved the line. If it was me in goal, I'd move the line even further on top of the, of, of the box, because now you have a reference line that you can all uh, align yourselves to. Um, yeah. Alex as a defender, what, what would you do in that, in the, on that occasion? There's, there's deep lines and then there's, there's this, you know, I don't, I'm not a big fan of the deep line, but I'm also not a big fan of the high line. I'm somewhere in between. So I actually agree with you. You say, you know, right on top of the box. I think that's a good spot to start just to keep the forwards honest. Um, naturally you will have players that break the line and that, you know, go off early. It just happens all the time. But like, like Chris said, when you have a, a keeper like Donnarumma, he's going to come out and punch. He should come out and grab everything that goes into that space. He should absolutely dominate that space. And, you know, that should give you as a defender a lot of confidence to say like, okay, yeah, if my man runs offside and behind, you know, it doesn't matter anyway. Donnarumma is going to catch that ball. And you have to look where the ball is being served from. It's actually not that it's – pretty, it's pretty far. It's not that close to the goal. And it's, it's more in a central wide position. It's not, you know, very, very wide. So for me, as a, as a defender, I would choose to have the line much higher here. Um, like Steve said, it's a, it's a free gift. And, you know, all that cluster just causes confusion. And as a defender, you don't have time to actually run and then jump. You just almost have to jump straight up and hope that you're tall. And the tallest guy usually gets there. So... I will say that in the the Milan Juve game earlier in the week, Don Roma had a beautiful, beautiful punch in traffic towards the end of the game, which could have ended up uh, preventing a goal. And I was I was ready to fall in love in the uh, the Milan Juve game, but you know, after seeing this this result here in the Napoli game, not not to mention that that second goal, right? I mean, I, I really feel like. Uh, Beautiful play, um, and 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 Mertens, you know, he he was able to uh, to make it a little bit tricky, and and there was possibly a deflection. But I am not a big fan of the the spread legged um, set position, uh, particularly when it relates to low angle shots, because you end up getting megged uh, if someone hits the ball right at you, right? And that's kind of what happened. And when you're when you're in a spread legged position, you have a tendency to have your weight on your heels which means you can more or less only go one direction, which is backwards. And you just don't want to, to, uh, to be in that position as a keeper is falling backwards, the ball going through your legs. Yeah. I think the, I think the Milan, the man backline get lucky here because everyone forgets how terrible their defending was for this goal because yeah. he should take the <laughs> shot. Um, I think Merton's Merton's run is, is a decent run, but nothing out of the ordinary that you wouldn't see at, at this level of football. 
but there's five defenders in the box and only and only him. So how he ends up on the end of this this cutback um, from Calajon is is extraordinary. And yeah, maybe it takes a bit of a deflection, but he has to save it. There's no doubt he has to save the shot. Um, and I think if I'm in the back line, I'll probably pat him on the back saying thank you because it's taken away from the poor marking and poor defending that they, they produced at this moment. Yeah, I think the defenders were just caught looking exclusively at the ball instead of both the ball and uh, the attackers yeah. making the runs in the box. Um, can I can I ask Alex when you're when you're making your runs back and you've got the ball that's that's out wide or in the half space? How how intentional are you about shoulder checking to see where where the uh, opposing players are and how intentional are are your teammates uh, in those situations? Well, it depends. If you're on the line, someone's gonna you can't. It's a debate. Are you going to man mark or are you going to go zone or are you going to do a hybrid? So if you man mark, the line can be just so chaotic because you have to stick with the guy. There's so many people moving at the same time. Then you have picks all the time. A lot of teams actually, with in this case, do a zone. And whoever runs into that space, you go. But how about in terms of crosses? Like not, not, a, not a, um, a corner, but – Someone, a winger, bringing it down, taking the cross. Maybe it's the three of you versus two two strikers. I'm just struck by how much I, I see the pros. They're they're basically they get sucked into watching the ball and they're not doing the quick checks. Much in the same that way that Donnarumma and that that Mertens goal probably should have done a quick shoulder check to see where the opposing players were before that that cross happened. Yeah. So a step by step would be okay. I see that the cross has been, or the, the winger has controlled the ball. I see his intent to cross. I see he's looked up. He's, he's looked at where he wants to cross. You know, a lot of the guys are pretty deceptive. They can cut it back even if they look a certain way. Yeah. At that moment, where I, in my opinion, it's a split second too. It's very fast. In my yeah. opinion, I know he's going to cross. Then I shoulder check. Then I get close or I go into a path. It's very quick. It, it, I go into a path where I think they're going to run into. And then I win that ball in that exact path where I think he's going, not where he is. I, I win where he's going. I have to win the space to where I think he's going. It's about anticipation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. Daniele, as, as a striker, how do you uh, take advantage of, of those guys ball watching? Um, I mean, if they're ball watching, then it's, it's just uh, better for me. Uh, they have yeah. no idea where I am. It yeah. gets tough when they 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 manage to do both. So they put a, an arm on you as well as looking at um, when and where the ball is delivered from. Mm -hmm. And then you, as a striker, you do double movements, right? You go first, uh, you attack, you pretend you attack the far post, and then you attack in front of them or the opposite. Um, bottom line, you want to get rid of your marker so that sure. you can you can tap the ball in. Um, Steve, anything else to add about this game? Yeah, I think um, Pioli quite cleverly in the second half he realized that they were they were getting the run around a little bit and and made a tactical change he, he went more to a 4-1-3-2 um man up alongside Ibrahimovic to, to help him with the with the pressure and went a little bit more for for the ball as opposed to dropping into a into a zone and, and hoping for the best a little bit so they got a little bit higher at the pitch in the second half they, their their passes per defensive action was actually lower than Napoli's um much lower in the second half in fact um and 
there comes a point where you you can manage the game if you have the ball, and you can you can sometimes manage the ball with it without the ball uh, by pressing or, or by dropping into a block and, and containing. And I think they did a good job in the second half of of doing both. Um, you know, the the penalty to to get them back in is potentially a little bit lucky, uh, like we've spoken about penalties over the last over the last half an hour or so. But um, I think the result was was maybe a fair one. Napoli, even though they dominated certain aspects of the game with the ball. Uh, they didn't create enough to to win the game, I don't think. And I think the results are, are, are a fair one. Um, yeah, I think the results are a fair one. Just a curious fact to uh, end our discussion about Napoli-Milan. So Milan manager Stefano Pioli would have to win all the remaining six games to equalize the number of points that Gattuso uh, put together last year when he was in charge of AC Milan. Um, which uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with uh, letting him go, but that's the topic for uh, another discussion. What happened also this past weekend, um, or better week, we had some movements in the um, lower half of the table. I think we can write off Spal and Brescia. They're probably going to play uh, Serie B football next year. But Lecce collected four points. Genoa collected three. And right now, Lecce is occupying the highest spot in the relegation uh, zone. And just one point ahead of them is Genoa. And five points ahead of them is Torino with uh, one game in hand. Uh, evergreen striker Goran Pandev scored for Genoa. Um, another evergreen striker, Fabio Quagliarella, uh, scored. Came back to scoring. 30, 38 years of age. Uh, I was definitely happy to see him. Uh, putting his name on the score sheet again. By the way, Steve, what do you make of that three win away uh, of uh, of Sampdoria at Udinese? Also knowing that your man Kevin Lasagna scored again. Ah, <laughs> uh, he scored five in a row now. Five games wow. running, he scored. Um, That's national team material, any, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's any coincidence <laughs> that that their kind of turnaround has been off the back of him of him scoring a few goals. As I said way back before the resumption that they're going to have to find a way to get him the ball more. And I think they've done that. But this game had four amazing goals in it. Uh, I think his, his okay. first one is a, is a, sun, a stunning strike. Um, you know, the goals he scores equals points. Um, and, then, and then the three uh, Samp goals are, are excellent as well. You know, two volleys, two volleys and a great hit from, from outside the box. And yeah, it was, a, it was a real relegation battle. No one really wanted to to give the game away and make mistakes. And I think it's a typical Ranieri masterclass where they just sat a little bit deeper, waited for moments where they could counter. Um, they actually got done on the counter, which was a surprise, but it was from, from a set piece. And, and, um, and yeah, I think it was a, a typical Ranieri performance from, from his team. And, and it's equaled, or I brought them back level again with Udinese, who had got a bit of a jump on them. But I, I think they're, They're fairly safe now, these two, um, in terms of their, their status for Serie A next year. Um, but a real entertaining one for, for a lower-level game, for sure. Yeah, I would say maybe they need another uh, five points, maybe, in the next six, six games, just to make sure, just because we know that uh, safety zone is usually set at 40 points, and right now they both sit at uh, 35. Um, You mentioned four goals, and what's more, four goals from four different Italian strikers. Lasagna, Bonazzoli, Gabbiadini, and Quagliarella. Um, so, uh, looking forward to uh, what Mancini uh, <laughs> is going to, uh, to decide for the next uh, call-up for the national team. 
Why don't we move on to some previews? We're going to have another two rounds of Serie A games coming at us. Um, as usual, the format is uh, Tuesday. Between Tuesday and Thursday is uh, match day 33. And then on the weekend, we're going to have uh, match day 34. Uh, we have Sassuolo um, hosting Juventus on Wednesday, as well as Udinese against Lazio. We have a big relegation uh, battle matches. We have Torino against Genoa and Lecce against Fiorentina. And then on Sunday, I would highlight Genoa-Lecce. Big, big, big game. Excited to watch that. As well as Roma against Inter and Juve-Lazio, which may have lost a little bit of the appeal given that uh, Lazio really seems to um, have run out of gas. Steve, is there any games that you would like to particularly highlight? Um, yeah, Torino-Genoa is an interesting one. 16th plays 17th. Uh, if Torino win, they're, they're probably safe along with, along with Samp and um, Udinese. Uh, Genoa are hanging on after last week. Pandev's obviously keeping them, keeping them in it a little bit. But if they get beat here, the gap will be seven points with, with five to play. Um, and Torino have a game in hand. So... It's it's got a lot of a lot of uh, bearing on this one. The gap could become one, um, even with that game in hand. Uh, so that that's a really interesting one for me. Um, Torino have done have done well since the resumption, considering they lost I think eight in a row before that. Um, they, they've done pretty well to pick up points in the last few games. But yeah, that's that's one I'll be keeping my my eye on. Um, I know Alex loves a relegation battle. They're they're, they're entertaining to watch um, as everyone fights fights to stay up for sure. Yeah, on Sunday, General H, I think it's a must-watch. The amount of uh, intensity, the tension that you can feel from just watching this, these two teams trying to collect points. And honestly, the approach will depend on uh, the midweek games go because if Genoa is still ahead, probably they're going to settle for a, for a draw uh, versus if they end up being behind, they're going to want the, the whole three points. Uh, Chris, I know that you're excited to, uh, to see Juve Lazio. Uh, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, I, I, in the last week or two, I was extraordinarily excited to watch this game. Yes. But uh, Lazio, as, as you've said, uh, I think that's a kind way, uh, run out of gas. Uh, I think they've, they've f- completely fallen on their face with three uh, consecutive losses. Um, so I am hoping they find their mojo, right? And give Juventus, who at this point are, are almost on cruise control, as far as I can tell. Um, you know, no, no injuries. Get maybe, maybe do some squad rotation if necessary, but let's, let's go hard the, the first 60 minutes and see what we can do. So um, I, I, don't, I don't see the, the matchups. I'm going to be curious to see if uh, Juve continues to do their – what I call an old school British style, hit the long ball straight and let one of the fastest, fittest strikers that can push people off the ball off and see if that tactic, that 1980s tactic becomes new, new (laughs) 2020 tactic again because of Italy's uh, advanced tactical thinking that it's so old, it's got to be new. And obviously, you're talking about um, Cristiano Ronaldo when you when you say the fittest and the uh, strongest striker on top. I know that you, Steve, you have an interesting take on how would Juventus <laughs> look without Cristiano Ronaldo. So please go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just um, my my one of my weekly takeaways. I made kind of three or four overview notes um, from from the last week of games and. Um, 
one of my weekly takeaways is that um, Juventus without Ronaldo could be more Napoli than Juventus. Um, you know, you made the comment earlier about the 11 penalties, for example, and his goals and output, you know, as one of games, basically, when they haven't played very well or they picked up points when they haven't played very well. Um, and I, if you remember a little while ago, I spoke about the XG or the X point, sorry, and, and where they would be uh, if they picked up the points they were meant to pick up and they were down in fifth or sixth place. And you can you can make a, a big case for the fact that that those points being picked up are, are Ronaldo's output goal wise. So, yeah, I, I think he showed more more intent to running behind, like Chris said, than he than he has done over over the recent past in the last few games. Um, and being picked out on a diagonal from Sandro, for example, in in two big chances, or so one goal and one big chance in the in the last two games. So yeah, his maybe that's a thing where they don't they don't actually have a lot of pace at the top if they play Higuain and Dybala, who are you know Higuain's a fixed focal point. Dybala's very very wanting to come off the front and, and dribble and drive with the ball at his feet, whereas they don't have a lot of a lot of runners in behind. So maybe he's had to take on a little bit more responsibility on, on that front to to give them a bit more um, flexibility in in their attacking threat, but. Yeah, that's that's one of my big weekly takeaways is that maybe they're a bit more Napoli than Juventus without him in the side. I'd like to see them win without without PKs and and maybe help from the refs. <laughs> so uh, we'll see. <laughs> I'll tell you something, Chris. Like even even Lazio, even Immobile, he's got eleven goals from PKs out of twelve yeah. attempts. So really, the spike in in PKs is making a difference. I think this year there have been. 159 PKs out of 319 games, which is 50%. Um, and last year, the number of total PKs were 122. So we are way ahead of last year and we have six games to play. So uh, I, I think what they need is they need better defenders. Uh, Alex, you ready to pack your bags and yeah. uh, go spend a little bit of time in, in the Mediterranean? How about these harsh rules of VAR and handball? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, of course I would. Um, Chris, I know that you have some uh, some strength of schedule uh, insights to share with us. Who yeah, us who's gonna have? Yeah, the... I, I just wanted to share. I thought we'd just have a quick look see because we've still got uh, a few games or so, about six six or seven matches, depending on who who you are, and trying to suss out um, who has this the easiest run in. Uh, and, and really who has the most challenging run-ins. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, I think uh, Juventus is, once they get past Lazio, I think they're kind of trotting along, uh, finishing up. I do think that uh, only three points separate Lazio, Atalanta, and, and Inter. Uh, Inter does have a game in hand. Uh, so that could be interesting for fighting for second place, right? Um, so that's that's one thing, and then you really need to go down to the next tier, the the Roma, Napoli, and AC Milan, which of which there's only four points um, separating those. So that's it's not a Europa or no Europa. It's do I have to go through qualifying yeah. uh, rounds in, in which to do that? So I I guess I'm I'm interested in seeing if Atalanta can um, can maybe move up uh, and how Inter can do with Lazio sliding a bit. Um, from a schedule perspective, what are what are y'all's takes in terms of who's got the more more difficult run in? Well, I'll I'll begin. I'll tell you that I I have a theory that Lazio will get beat by Udinese this week. Um, 
I think they're they're in a real struggle now, and and uh, I, I think there's a lot to be said for the rotation of squad um, and starting eleven. And I think they haven't done it very well so far. So I think they get beat by Udinese, they get beat by Juventus, and by that stage, uh, you'll find that Atalanta and Inter may have gone past them. I think Inter still have a game in hand, don't they? Over over the top um, the top guys. So yeah, and then after that, anybody that you're playing who are not fighting for their lives. Is it is a game that you can win if if you show enough enough energy and determination to. So teams like Verona and and um, Brescia and and Palmer and those those teams in there who don't really have a lot to play for. I think those are the games you can target and to pick up points in for sure if if you need those points. You know, you know what? I agree with you in that Udinese will beat Lazio because Udinese is probably the most physical team in the league and. It's the best time to play Lazio because right now Lazio looks really out of energy, out of juice. So I agree with that. I do think that Atalanta Inter will overcome Lazio in the table. I'm looking at uh, the Roma and the Similan schedule. Obviously, it will depend on um, this bottom of the team, uh, bottom of the table teams will do. But the schedule of a Similan looks pretty good in terms of Parma, Bologna, Sassuolo are teams that really made of the table. They don't have much to uh to ask for um and then you have Kyler in the same position um and Sampdoria by the time they play them which is the second to last game they may be uh safe so really Milan have to play Atalanta but that's it in terms of very hard game same for Roma they have uh, Inter but then you have Spal who's already is already probably not not already but um is uh, they'll be gone by then they'll yeah, be, they'll be down they'll by, be then. Gone by then and then you have uh, uh, Fiorentina and Torino who could save themselves before those last three games. Uh, and then as well as Juventus, who they're going to play at the end, uh, very last game of the season, which uh, Juventus could have, could have already clinched the title by then. Uh, I don't know. Alex, you have any, any, do you see anything specific about this, the schedules? We talk about Lazio now, all of a sudden, obviously they're in terrible run of form, but I think they're actually one of the, worst teams to play right now because of the recent recent results. I think they're going to flip it around when, and with the recent run of results, they have to respond. Like I would not want to play Lazio right now. So I'm going to take the alternative opinion and say that. So I think they're going to come back. I still think Atalanta is going to jump over them. I don't think Lazio is going to play well through the next, next few games and finish in the second spot. I think Roma is pretty vulnerable. In my opinion, I can see them dropping points. Uh, I think Napoli will jump over them. Obviously, the last couple of games will be difficult for Napoli, but I can see them still doing well. And uh, I don't know, Milan's in a great round of form. Mm-hmm. Daniel, you probably love that, but I, I can just see them, you know, pushing pushing Roma, maybe maybe even pushing Napoli and, and getting in there. I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think Napoli, Napoli, are, Napoli are not that bothered though because they're already qualified because of the uh, because of the Coppa Italia. Right, so True. where where they fi- where they finish is is kind of irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, they if they were really good people, they would finish in the in the bottom of those three spots so that they would lose the qualification um, aspect yeah. of it um, and let everyone else through. But that's not going to happen. <laughs> but that, yeah, they're yeah. they're the ones who are, are the the safest, and I think that shows in Gattuso's rotation and also is is flexibility and it and and adding things to his side that he perhaps hasn't done so much before so yeah milan have got a a, a fight on their hands but i i think they'll be okay alex i'll say something about roma they have uh um there is a kid who just came back 
Nicolò Zagnolo and he scored a goal this past weekend. Uh, he's, uh, I don't even know if he's 20 years of age or he's still 19, but very young, such an explosive uh, attacking player and he could be the difference maker for Roma. You know, they, uh, before this week, they really struggled, especially defensively. It was a nightmare looking at what they were doing, but it seems like they have uh, found that chemistry back. So, um, yeah, it will be an interesting, interesting battle right there for a fifth, for the fifth position. Um, knowing Gattuso, uh, not personally, but knowing <laughs> his coaching style, I think that he was going to demand his players to just keep playing until the last game. Obviously, subconsciously, maybe the players will give up a little bit uh, because, like you said, Steve, they're already going to play Europa League football next year. But um, we'll see how they hold up. Um, who do you guys think are going to save themselves at the bottom? Um, I I think it's now between Genoa and Lecce. Okay. To be fair, I I think there's it's all you know, like you say, teams need maybe thirty eight to forty points, but that's only necessary if the teams below them are picking up points. And although they've done well in the last week or so to pick up a few, I don't think they've got enough consistency in them to to overturn overturn that deficit. So. Like I said, if, if Torino beat Genoa this week, I think seven points with a game in hand, I, I think it's pretty much between those two after that. Well, as if we, I had to pick, I'd say Lecce are the ones to struggle and go down. Yeah, as we speak, uh, Torino's beating Inter 1-0 at halftime. So there you go. I think absolutely right. <laughs> you know what? Yes and no, because we have six games to play, which is a lot. You have 18 available available points. So... A team can go on a run of three straight victories, you know, momentum. You play like three games in, in 10 days, um, not less, three games in a week, basically. So I don't think it's as closed as it may seem um, if you look at the at the table because there's still a lot, a lot of games to play. Um, yeah, that's tr- that's, that is true and that's a fair point. But at the moment, Jenner and Lecce both average less than a point a game. So... You're you're relying on teams above them not to pick up points like they have done, and you're relying on on you to double your points tally um, over the over the next few games, which you know is possible. But I think the 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 odds are stacked against seventeen and eighteen in the league right now. Well, we'll see uh, what happens uh, during this week, and uh, I'm sure that by next week we're gonna have a clearer picture of all these battles, you know, for the title, for the relegation, for uh, Europa League spots. Uh, that's it for today's show thank you for listening and thank you Steve, Alex and Chris Chris I hope that you're still going to be here next week even if uh, even if Donnarumma doesn't make any mistakes Uh, (laughs) we will be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Total Football Analysis Serie A podcast ciao